Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everybody. I want to begin with an apology today. I've got a very bad cold, and so if I sound worse than usual, that's the reason. But I want to talk today about cursing, specifically a curse tablet. On today's podcast, I want to share with you a recent sensational archaeological find, one that you may have heard about if you've been following the news. It is the now-famous curse tablet from Mount Ebal in central Israel. During the summer of 2022, I had the opportunity of leading a tour to Israel, and we went to the biblical site of Shiloh. There, I had a chance to meet Dr. Scott Stripling. In my opinion, and in the opinion of others, he is the world's leading biblical archaeologist, especially the world's leading evangelical archaeologist. He was excavating the site of Shiloh, where the ancient tabernacle sat during the days of Samuel. He took time to speak to my group and to do an interview with me, and for many of us, it was the highlight of the entire tour. Well, Dr. Stripling has just published a peer-reviewed academic paper on a sensational find that he and his team made on Mount Ebal, which is relatively close to Shiloh. We believe this is the most exciting archaeological discovery of the 21st century, and so I wanted to take this opportunity of sharing it with you. First of all, let me give you some biblical background. Near the end of his life, Moses led the children of Israel to the edge of the Promised Land and to the eastern side of the Jordan River, where he preached a series of sermons to them. These messages represented his last words. We call that series of messages the Book of Deuteronomy. Moses reminded the Israelites of the covenant God had made with them, and he told them that when they entered the promised land, they were to go to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal and renew the covenant that God had made with Abraham in the book of Genesis. Now, those two mountains, or rounded hills, are next to each other, and in the valley between them was the town of Shechem. Today, it's the city of Nablus. This is where Jacob's well is located, where Jesus met the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In fact, we were able to visit Jacob's well, which isn't always possible because of political stress and tension in that region. But also, this is the location, strategically, where God made that original covenant with Abraham. Well, when you're in Nablus or Shechem, you can look to one side and see Mount Gerizim, And on the other side, you can look over and see Mount Ebal. Here are the instructions that Moses gave in Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning with verse 26, about how they were to renew the covenant that God had made with Abraham and Shechem on these two hillsides that are on either side of Shechem. So it says in Deuteronomy 
chapter 11, verse 26 and following. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessings if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from what I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Verse 29, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. Now let's go over to Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, beginning with verse 1, where Moses repeats and amplifies this instruction. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, Keep all these commands that I give you today, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you. Set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with fill stones, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God, and you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. Verse 11 goes on to say, On the same day Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. And then he lists the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce the curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Verse 14, the Levites shall recite to all of the people of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all of the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father and mother. And all of the people shall say, Amen. And so on. So you can get the picture in your mind. Moses told Joshua and the Israelites that after they had crossed the Jordan River and had begun the conquest of the land, they were to go to Shechem, where God had made his original covenant with Abraham, and there they were to renew the covenant. Half of the tribes were to stand on the slopes of Mount Ebal, and that was where the curses were to be pronounced. Mount Ebal was the Mount of Curses. The other half were to stand on Mount Gerizim, and that's where the blessings were to be pronounced. Well, that is exactly what happened. Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. They began the conquest, and look at Joshua chapter 8, beginning with verse 30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. 
On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Moses wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and the other in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave the instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded the, that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. So that's the biblical data. These two mountains in central Israel, Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing, and Mount Ebal, the Mount of Cursing, Moses said that's where you should go to renew the covenant, and so that's exactly what they did in Joshua chapter 8. Now, let's fast forward to our own era. In the 1980s, Israeli archaeologist Adam Zertal of Hafia University conducted excavations on Mount Ebal. What he initially found was a large pile of stones with a series of stone walls jutting out from the edges of the pile. Thousands of potsherds, or pieces of pottery, at the site dated it to the Iron One period, which dates to about 1200 BC. And this would be in line with one theory of the dating of the Exodus. Now, at this point, I want to pause and talk about the date of the Exodus and the conquest. When did Moses and Joshua live? Scholars have differing views about that. As I said, many of them believe it occurred about the year 1200 B.C., about 1200 years before Christ. But there's a very interesting verse in 1 Kings chapter 6. Verse 1 says, And the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, and the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the months of Ziv, the second month, he, Solomon, began to build the temple of the Lord. In other words, that verse says that Solomon began the temple exactly 480 years after the Israelites came out of Egypt. If you do the math, this puts the Exodus at about 1400 B.C., 200 years earlier than the more liberal scholars hold, 1,400 years before Christ. And those of us with a high view of Scripture tend to hold to this date. Now, let's go back to Zertal, Adam Zertal, the uh, archaeologist. Despite being a Jewish archaeologist, he had no interest in the Bible. He was a secularist. He was an agnostic. He had no idea what this pile of stones represented that he had found on Mount Ebal. But one of his staff members brought him a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, and showed him Joshua chapter 8. Zertal then became convinced he had found the altar that Joshua had built. He came convinced of the historicity of the biblical account. He was convinced that it dated to about 1,200 years before Christ. And today there is a consensus among many, many archaeologists that, in fact, this spot that Zertal excavated is the altar spot of Joshua. 
But here's the thing. Inside and beneath that altar that dates to 1200 B.C., there was an older altar. It was a round pile of uncut stones, filled stones that had not been shaped by any kind of iron tool. But inside and beneath that altar, there was an older altar. It was a round pile of uncut stones, and it dated to an earlier time. These were stones that had been unshaped by any kind of iron implement or tool. Zertal dated that particular altar, the one that was beneath, the one that he originally found, to one generation prior to the rectangular upper altar. But Dr. Stripling, who favors the older date for the Exodus, considered and concluded that the round altar dates to about the year 1400 B.C. He concludes this because of pottery and other things found uh, around this altar and that would confirm that earlier date. If this is true, then there is on Mount Ebal to this day the remains of the very altar that Joshua built in the eighth chapter of the book that bears his name with evidence that it goes back to the days of the Exodus and the conquest in 1400 B.C. In 1993, it became very difficult to visit Mount Ebal due to the political divisions that were created by the Oslo Accords. This mountain now is in disputed territory, and for safety and political reasons, it simply cannot be further excavated right now. But that didn't deter Dr. Stripling. He knew that Zatal had left, like all archaeologists do, two large piles of rubble from his excavations. Dr. Stripling managed to get access to this rubble, and his team began going through the debris using a method called wet sifting. The workers would take the dirt and the rubble, put uh, all of the debris in trays and sift it, and then rinse it with water using a little bit of pressure with that water. And by using wet sifting, Dr. Stripling was able to find many artifacts that Zertal had missed. Well, that's how they found this curse tablet. There was a tiny piece of lead shaped like a rectangle about the size of a business card and folded over so that it was about the size then of a postage stamp. Dr. Stripling said, we immediately recognized what we had. We called this a dysphoria or a curse tablet. We ultimately were able to find a lab in Prague that had expertise in scanning the tablet so with extensive post-processing, we were finally able to begin to see the letters emerge. In other words, this lead tablet had been written on and folded over, and it was impossible now to open because it was so fragile. But using tomography and scans, they were beginning to detect the lettering that was on the inside. What they found was the oldest Hebrew writing ever discovered, including the oldest reference to two different names of God, the Jewish God. The inscription said, You are cursed by the God Yahweh. Cursed. You will die. Cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. Cursed, you are by Yahweh. Cursed. That's the contents that was on the inside of this cursed tablet. From an analysis of the metal, we know that this came from lead, which had been mined in Greece 
and that those mines had closed down about the year 1200 B.C., so the lead tablet was at least that old. Dr. Stripling argues for the age of 1400 B.C. And so, on the mountain of cursing, Mount Ebal, they found a tablet dating from the time of Joshua, near an altar ascribed to Joshua, bearing both the words El, for God, and Yahweh, which was the Lord's covenant name. The curses had been written on a tablet, and then the tablet had been folded over, but recent technological innovations were able to reveal the contents, as I explained. So that's the discovery. Let me share with you six very important implications of this find. First, this indicates that Moses and Joshua were literate. Many scholars have said that Moses did not have an alphabet, nor could they have known how to read or write, although the Bible says that he was schooled in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. But to quote Dr. Stripling, this proves that there was an alphabetic script with which Moses and Joshua could have written the earliest biblical books. Second, this throws the documentary hypothesis into serious question. I want to describe briefly how important this is in the whole field of biblical scholarship. The documentary hypothesis has been the prevailing theory of liberal scholars about the authorship of the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, for over 100 years. These theories came out of the liberal seminaries of Germany over 100 years ago and did a great deal to poison seminaries in the United States and those who studied the Old Testament. In other words, this hypothesis has been taught to students in seminaries for over a century, and it has undermined confidence in the early books of the Old Testament. Here's what the documentary hypothesis says in essence. It claims that the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, was not written by Moses at all. But much later, many writers put together fragments of Scripture, and these fragmentary documents can be identified by the name that the writers assigned to God. And so at one early era in history, we read that God is, is known as El or Elohim, but then here's another chapter, and in this chapter is called Yahweh. So scholars who hold, the document to, who hold to the documentary hypothesis claim that these various writings represent different stages in the history of the compilation of the Pentateuch, and much later, editors or redactors piece them together to give us sort of a hodgepodge document, and it would, in, in effect, mean that we cannot trust the historicity of the contents of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But, lo and behold, on this lead tablet, we have both the name El, for Elohim or God, and Yahweh, the covenant name for God, side by side, dating from approximately 1400 B.C. This turns that documentary hypothesis on its head. Dr. Stripling described the moment when he explained all of this to a pastor who had been preaching for 40 years. He said that the man looked at him and said, Do you mean to tell me that I can now preach from the early books of the Bible, confident that they were written by Moses and are historically accurate? And he began to cry and said, Why didn't I know this years ago? Third, 
This indicates that the events that we find in Deuteronomy and Joshua are historically accurate and are attested to by archaeological evidence. Fourth, this tends to confirm the older date of the Exodus, that is about 1400, which concerns the accuracy or confirms the accuracy of what we read about in 2 Kings in the verse that I told you about Solomon. Fifth, this suggests an older date for the book of Job. We don't know when the book of Job was written. Many scholars ascribe a late date to it, and that could be. But Job 19 verses 23 and 24 says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rocks forever. Inscribed with an iron tool on lead. Well, this is exactly what Dr. Dr. Stripling found, words engraved on lead with a stylist. And Job, or whoever wrote the book about him, well, they knew about this method of writing, which likely would not have been known to people in later generations, and so this suggests an older date for Job. And six, this shows us that God has always had an answer for the curse of sin. Dr. Stripling gave over 100 interviews about this find, and I listened to many of them until I had internalized as best I could the implications of what he was saying. One of the points he made was this, because of sin, we are all under a curse. It's not that we are cursed by Satan. We are cursed by God because of our disobedience. But on the mountain of the curse, an altar was built. That curse was inscribed on a lead tablet, placed on the altar, and over it, a lamb was sacrificed. The blood of this innocent sacrifice drenched the curse, covering it, and setting the worshiper free. It's an incredible picture of atonement. This is a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us when he bore the curse for us and washed it away with his blood. You see why I say this is one of the most sensational finds that I've ever read about in the field of biblical archaeology. And so it's something that I want you to be aware of. You may want to watch some of the interviews that Dr. Stripling gave. You can Google them. You can find them on the Internet. He and his team have already published a peer-reviewed article, which I read, and they're working on another one for next year. As I said, he's given over, over 100 interviews about this, and so listening to him explain it in his own words is a very rich experience. This will give you good and timely answers for those who ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you. So become acquainted with the whole wonderful field of biblical archaeology. There are new discoveries almost every day, but the curse tablet and this recent analysis of it is one of the greatest of our lifetime. Well, thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me, and remember to check out my website, robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many resources. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson, and Luke Tyler is posting a transcript of this blog about the curse tablet on my blog post at my website, and you can check it out there and have a printed copy if you'd like it. Music 
is by Jordan Davis. Thank you for tuning in and may God be with you until we meet again.